0: Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God.
1: Turn, turn, turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. So we're going through this, this book of Solomon's testing of all things under the sun, his experiment with everything that would possibly bring him happiness, contentment, fulfillment, or joy. And we've seen him struggle. We've kind of gotten a a glimpse of his heart. We've seen him struggle with the meaning of life. We've seen him go back and forth. And his search for that meaning has brought him to some various conclusions throughout the first couple of chapters. Remember chapter 1 laid out that theory that life is empty. It's vain. It's chasing after wind and grasping after things that can never be obtained. Chapter 2 was his test of that theory. He tried everything from pleasure to wine to material wealth to entertainment, but he never found significance in those things. As a matter of fact, at the end of that chapter, he realized the only thing that brings meaning to our lives is having God at the center of whatever we do. That's a good conclusion that Solomon came to. But we can see as we move on in this book that he's still a little bit confused. He's still not 100% sure about about what the meaning of life is and what brings significance to this life. So chapter 3 goes on to record another one of these conclusions, and that is that his realization that Everything happens for a reason, and although life may seem like a collection of random events, God is ultimately in control of the turns in this life, and God does that for a reason, and he brings Solomon to this place because unlike the animal world or the insect world, where Life consists of monotonous tasks without any real meaning. Humanity has been created with a better plan, with a purpose. And a purpose beyond just the mundane, everyday things. That purpose is given great significance in a relationship with God. And our responsibility is to find out what that purpose is for each and every one of us and then to walk in a way... That achieves that in our lives. So it's a lifelong pursuit of God's will for each and every person. And we're encouraged also to see human beings as individuals, unique in their personality, each with a plan and a purpose, which God has ordained from the beginning of time. In Psalm 139, verse 16, it says, Your eyes saw my substance, yet being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. That's how much God thinks of each and every person, that he's planned out your days individually, personally, from before you were even born, from the beginning of time. Chapter 3 also tells us that there is a time and place for everything. And now, I know we've probably heard that a lot growing up, especially. You know, as children, our parents would tell us when we would act inappropriately at a certain event. And, you know, there's a time and a place, they might say, for everything. But it goes beyond just bad social timing. This chapter tells us that God is behind the timing of events in our lives and that we need to pay attention to his direction or else we'll find ourselves at the wrong place at the wrong time for what he has for us. And remember also that Solomon uses this book to record his experiment with life and its meaning and those things that he concludes after he experiments But some of his conclusions, remember, would be right, and some of his conclusions would be incorrect. So he kind of gives himself a test. Before he accepts his own findings, he re-examines them in this chapter and in the future chapters to see if they were really true. Now, tonight we're only going to go through eight verses in this chapter in Ecclesiastes because... There's a lot of meat here to go through in these verses. Remember in chapter 1 when he laid out that theory that life was just a cycle of events. Just things would, would be born and they would die. Things would come and they would go. Just a cycle of events without any meaning, recurring over and over. Basically that life was monotonous. He came up with that theory. So, In this chapter, he's trying to establish the validity of that statement. But he considers the alternative, that there's something or someone above man. Someone putting all of these seemingly random things in some kind of order in our lives. So I'm going to read through verses 1 through 8 in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It says, "...to everything there is a season..." a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to gain and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence. A time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. That is the gist of these verses. And he goes through all these various circumstances or events and he just pulls them apart. But what he does here is he he encourages us to look to God even as the seasons of this natural world will have an order to them. And scientists have to admit that the natural world is not a collection of random events. The seasons can be depended upon. The days and nights will continue to happen. Hours in the day will continue to go on. So if the natural things in this world are orderly, how much more our relationship with the Lord See, we can relate those things to humanity also. Verse 2 says a time to be born and a time to die. Now, a man may try to take control of life and death, whether through birth control or abortion or euthanasia or by some other means, but Solomon tells us otherwise. Birth and death are not under human control, nor do they just occur by accident, It's in God's timing and by His divine hand that those things occur. The second part of verse 2 says a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted. Now, farmers will tell you that there's certain seasons to plant certain crops, certain times of the year, that there's an order to that. They plan out their sowing and their reaping. But ultimately, it's God who brings forth the harvest, isn't it? Just like when we plant a seed of the gospel in someone's heart through conversation, through our getting together with people. That's a seed that's planted, but ultimately, God brings that person, or not, to salvation. We must learn to look to God in these things in our life, even as we're diligent to do what He's called us to do. See, we work. We kind of work with God in these things. We, we may plant, somebody else may water, but God brings forth the increase. In 1 Corinthians 3, 9, I love this verse. It says, we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, you are God's building. Imagine partnering with the creator of the universe to do work here in this world. We're not alone. Remember, it's not our plan. It's God's plan that he allows us to be a part of, but then he also equips us to do the work that he's called us to do. We are his fellow workers. How awesome is that? But there's a time, a time to plant. You know, sometimes when you're talking to somebody, you say you feel the Holy Spirit giving you that little nudge to tell them about Jesus, to tell them about the gospel. And other times you may not feel that nudge. It's important for us as we're going through this chapter about times and seasons that we listen to God, that we're in tune with His Holy Spirit, that we're attentive to the prompting and the leading of the Spirit in our lives. And and God is also in control of those who are healed or not. And we know, that, we know that very well. It says in verse 3, the beginning of verse 3, a time to kill and a time to heal. Now, I, I looked at a few different commentaries and they all seem to say that this particular verse is not actually to kill as in murder, but to kill as in to allow to die and, or to heal. And you know, this is a difficult thing for us as human beings. It's difficult to accept. We understand God's sovereignty And yet, sometimes we question his sovereignty, don't we? Remember, we just studied uh, last week about Hezekiah's miraculous hearing, how he prayed and God gave him another 15 years. But that doesn't always happen. We see that not only in the biblical record, but we know that in our personal lives, that healing doesn't always take place. But God is ultimately in charge, in control, And this is where trusting in the Lord come into play and coming to the understanding that God has a hand in our everyday lives, that nothing escapes Him, that He's involved in each and everything that we do. Solomon also tells us here that God sometimes has to destroy before He can build. It says in verse 3, the second part of verse 3, a time to break down and a time to build up. Now, I don't know about you, but I like watching those home improvement shows. And Fixer Upper is like one of my favorites. And I've never seen anyone get so excited about busting stuff up as Chip Gaines does when it's demo day. It's amazing. This guy just goes crazy when it's Demo Day. But you know, when you watch those shows, most of the time they have to destroy stuff before they build it back up. I don't know about you, but I know in my life, God had to destroy a lot of stuff in my life before he could build me up into who he wants me to be. And he's still doing that work. I'm still a work in progress. I'm still under construction. And sometimes he has to demo a little bit more before he can build. We may have bad habits that need to be broken. We may have influences of people in our lives that need to be taken away. We may have erected walls to protect us that God wants to tear down before he can actually do that work of building. We may have relationships that we've put ahead of God that need to be broken so we can give God his rightful place in our lives. You know, the tearing down sometimes is the tough part. The tearing down is not the things we usually look forward to. But, you know, when you get to the end, it's amazing how they can redo a house in an hour, isn't it? When you get to the end of those programs, what a beautiful sight it is to see. But you go back to the beginning and they had to tear down. Sometimes God has to do that. In Matthew 10, there's an example that Jesus gives of this. In verses 34 to 36. And this is is one of those difficult passages that, uh, that Jesus says that sometimes people don't quite understand. He says, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. Isn't that what we all thought Jesus came? To bring peace on earth? He says, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Now that doesn't sound like the Jesus that We may think about that he came not to bring peace, but to bring a sword to set people in their own households against one another, so to speak. But see, Jesus sometimes has to tear down those relationships before he can build you up into who he wants you to be. And that's difficult because sometimes families are separated because of your faith in Jesus Christ. But sometimes he has to separate those who are f- truly followers of him from those who were not. So we see the tearing down and the building up. And we know as we go forward into verse 4, we know there are times where we mourn and times where we rejoice. It says in verse 4, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Romans 12:15 tells us that we're to rejoice with those who rejoice and we're to weep with those who weep. So as Christians, we're called to empathize with others. We're called to put us into we're called to relationships that give us opportunities to maybe bring comfort to someone who's going through a difficult situation or to be joyful with them when something good happens in their lives. But remember, there's a time for both. You certainly wouldn't want to be joyous when someone's telling you about a a really difficult and sorrowful situation. So there's a time for each, a time for weeping and a time for laughing, especially as we relate to people. Solomon also tells us that there are things that are placed in our path that can be used for many different purposes, Verse 5, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. Now, in Israel, especially at that time, it's a very rocky, stony, and uh, dry climate. And the land is full of rocks and stones. You know, if a farmer wanted to plant a field... Most of the time he would have to clear away a lot of that stuff before he could even try to plow. And then he could plant and harvest the crops. But the rocks had to be cleared away first. But you know, the rocks he cleared away could also be used for another purpose. They could be used to build a wall for his protection or to defend himself from an enemy or to fend off an animal that's looking to get at his livestock. So we see here there's a time to cast away stones, there's a time to gather stones. Don't overlook those things that God is placing in your life. There may be a purpose for them. Sometimes it's for one thing and sometimes it's for another. But God is placing things in your path to be used to to accomplish his will. We need to have that discernment, don't we? To know, well, am I to use this or not? Am I to keep this, Lord, or am I to cast this away? Why are you putting this in my path, God? It's all about relationship. It's all about communication with the Lord. Gaining that discernment as we just walk day by day. And then the second half of verse 5, it says, A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Now, th- there's a couple of different ways we can look at this. There could be just the greeting of visitors and friends. You know, there's a time to embrace, and there's a time to refrain from embracing. You know, could be knowing when to go home, knowing when you've overstayed your welcome. You know, there's a time to, to leave. The, you know, kind of practical things. We've, we saw that... When we're studying the Proverbs. But it could also refer to times when we need to back off from relationship. Maybe that relationship is not good for us. Maybe we're not good for that person. So we need to pray for God's wisdom in these things a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to be in relationship with people and a time maybe to set those things aside for whatever purpose God has for them and for us. So walking this life requires daily communication with the Lord to seek that wisdom. Verse 6 says, A time to gain and a time to lose. This isn't my personal diet plan, although that's usually what happens, gaining and losing, gaining and losing. The The New Living Translation says, a time to search, and a time to quit searching. I like that. See, our lives have different seasons. We know, if we've lived for several years, we know that there were seasons in our life. Sometimes we're in a searching season, right? Maybe we're searching for a college. Maybe we're searching for a spouse. Maybe we're searching for a job. We're searching for a place to live. Right? Those are the times for searching. But there are other times in our life where we need to stop searching, aren't there? Just kind of live and thrive where God has you and understand that this is a time in your life that you're supposed to be content. Some people never stop searching. And you know, I've, I've seen people that can never be content where they are. You know, there's a, there's a little saying It says, bloom where you're planted. In other words, where you're at right now, this is where God has you. Understand that. It might be a season for you to stop searching, to just be there, to thrive where you're at. God has ordained those certain times in our life, so we need to be attentive to those things. A time to keep and a time to throw away. Now, I like this. Warren Weersby said of this verse, the next phrase gives biblical authority for garage sales. A time to keep and a time to clean house. A time to keep and a time to throw away. I don't know. I, they, he, he may be right. God's way of telling us when we've kind of accumulated enough stuff in our lives and it's time to get rid of some stuff in a spiritual sense we need to continually reevaluate our habits our relationships even our theology so we're not starting to follow those things that are not biblical sometimes we sometimes we're just in a routine aren't we we're in a habit and we're never really reevaluating those things in our life to find out if we should stay there we should keep those things or we should kind of throw them away and and get back on track where we're supposed to be with the Lord. I know it's similar to what Pastor Vinny taught on Sunday about not allowing deception to get us off track. Even those things in the Christian culture. You know, we may start to, you know, lean toward something, and God is telling us it's time to throw that away. It's time to throw that away. Again, it's hearing his voice, being attentive. To him. Verse 7 says a time to tear and a time to sew. Now, <clears throat> in the Jewish culture, the tearing of clothes was a sign of mourning or grief. And But we don't mourn as the world mourns, the Bible says, and we're not to remain in that state. See, God's word gives us hope. God's Word gives us a plan for our lives. Sometimes mourning, grief, or sorrow can actually paralyze us so that we can't do what God's calling us to do. That's when it's time to sow. It's kind of time to then put those things back together and move on into God's plan for our lives. You know, certainly sorrow uh, of, of someone who you've lost, a loved one, is appropriate. Mourning is appropriate. But God doesn't want you to stay there. It's time to, at some times, put things back together and move on. It reminds me of Elisha, when Elijah was taken up to heaven, and he stood by and he watched. In Second Kings 2, verses 11 and 12, it says, Then it happened... As they continued on and talked, and suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. So certainly... You know, Elisha's response was natural, was normal. But remember, he had been given the mantle. He had been called to continue the work. He couldn't remain in that state, right? Or else that work that he was called to wouldn't be continuing. So remember, listen to the Lord when he's saying, okay, there's a time to tear, there's a time to mourn, but there's also a time to sow and get back to the Lord's work. Another thing that the tearing of clothes represents is repentance. But more than an outward sign, God wants to see the repentance in our hearts, doesn't He? You know, the, an outward sign, the tearing of the clothes, it was a very dramatic expression of mourning, sorrow, or repentance. But it says in Joel 2.13... So rend or tear your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. So when we're going the wrong direction, when we need to repent, we repent, but then we change direction and we go into what God has for us. We don't remain in that state of dejection, right? We have to keep moving forward. Verse 7 also says, A time to keep silence and a time to speak. That's kind of uh, common sense, although we don't always use it. The Bible gives us many examples of the wisdom of knowing when to speak and when not to speak when to speak, and when to listen. Sometimes it's better to be a good, really good listener than it is to uh, speak too much. Proverbs 10, verse 8 says, The wise in heart will receive commands, but a prating fool will fall. That word for prating, it it can also be um, translated chattering. In other words, somebody who's always talking. Verse 10, it says, He who winks with the eye causes trouble, but a chattering fool will, will, will fall. So know when to speak and know when to listen. Again, it's God's wisdom. I haven't perfected it, I can tell you that. So just, I'm still seeking the Lord every time to know whether I should speak or whether I should just, just listen. Verse 8, a time to love and a time to hate. Now again, this is a verse that we may not expect to see in the, in the Bible. We, of course, we know that love is the evidence that we're followers of God. In 1 John 4, 8, it says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Love is the evidence of a relationship with Jesus Christ. But hate? As Christians, are we supposed to hate anything? How about the things that God hates? In Psalm 97.10, it says, You who love the Lord hate evil. There you go. The psalmist is telling us right there, If you love God, you're to hate evil. He preserves the souls of his saints. He delivers them out of the hand of the wicked. Deuteronomy 16.22 tells us, you shall not set up a sacred pillar which the Lord your God hates. In other words, don't set up false idols to worship them. Put something in God's place because He hates that. Deuteronomy 12.31, you shall not worship the Lord your God in that way for, for every abomination... To the Lord, which he hates, they have done to their gods, for they burn even their sons and daughters in fire to their gods. What an abomination that was to the Lord. When something evil is happening, especially in the name of religion, we can hate that. We can hate that thing because we know that God hates it. That's an abomination to him. Malachi 2.16, For the Lord God of Israel says that He hates divorce. Now we use this verse many times, even in counseling, because we want to get that on the table right away. God hates divorce. Now let's go on and see what what the Lord can do to, to maybe restore this relationship. That's how, we, that's how we seek to counsel most times. So there are some things that God hates. And those things that God hates, we're supposed to hate also. We should love what God loves, definitely. It's the evidence of our relationship with him. But we should hate what God hates. It puts us in line with his heart for us. And then a time of war and a time of peace. We all long for peace. This world is anything but. And we know that as we study these these eight verses, that it's all in God's timing. He's ordained seasons and experiences and circumstances in our lives. But we also know that true peace will only come when the Prince of Peace comes and He's ruling righteously.